0: Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. My name's Ollie Henderson and my guest this week has an exciting and unusual career journey. After studying finance at university, Catherine Hamm went to work for an NGO in Afghanistan which led her to pursue a PhD in international development. Nothing that out of the ordinary so far I'll admit but following four years of traveling around the globe in her role as an economist at the World Bank, she began developing sleep issues and After searching far and wide for a solution to her insomnia, she came across weighted medical blankets. Yes, they were ugly and hot, but they also helped her sleep consistently for the first time in years. So she did what any successful economist would do in her situation and quit her job to found a company creating and selling heavy blankets. Three and a half years later, Catherine's business, Bearaby, has won awards and is now stocked in retailers across the United States. I love this chat with Catherine. We talked about her early career and how following her curiosity has created a series of exciting opportunities and discussed the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, including why pivoting your career affects your sense of identity. We also discussed how to learn from failure. We dug into why purpose for her means constantly learning, the importance of taking time to rest and recover, and how to channel creativity in your work. And finally, we talked about why community is critical in your journey as an entrepreneur. Thanks as ever for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and please leave a review. It really helps other people discover the show. And on that note, if you think someone would be interested in listening, please do share it with them. One last thing, as you probably know by now, my book, Work Life Flywheel, will be on bookshelves, real life and digital in January 2023. You can now pre-order it though, so make sure you get your copy early. I'll put a link in the show notes along with links to the Bearaby website and Catherine's LinkedIn profile. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Catherine Hamm. So Catherine, thanks so much for joining me today. I was really fascinated to learn how you came about setting up your business because you've been through quite a profound career shift. So maybe you could talk to us about how you became an entrepreneur
1: so um, I mean I had a bit of a unconventional um, journey I never had the idea in the first place to become an entrepreneur or or the dream of becoming an entrepreneur Um, in fact I I used to be an economist for the for the World Bank and I had um, kind of was just like midway into my career and I uh, had moved from uh, Washington to like various places, but then ended up in India and in Mumbai. And I mean, that's when I discovered I was like constantly on the road, traveling a lot. So I developed sleep problems. Um, and I was kind of just in the process of looking for just a, a sleep solution beyond the obvious, the, you know, the mattresses, the pillows. And I, by, while doing my research, I came across a medical article that talked about these weighted blankets, uh, heavy blankets that help you sleep better in a natural way. And, I mean, it's not a new concept. It's been actually around for more than 30 years. And somewhere in that article, it, it mentioned it even though it was a product that was originally developed for children with sensory disorders, that the same mechanisms actually applies um, calming people, helping them sleep. And that was kind of in the early days where you got this type of product in a, in a pharmacy. So I, I bought it in a, in a German pharmacy and um, kind of shipped it It Took like six weeks of shipping. uh, And it, when it arrived, it, it looked really ugly I first didn't want to try it. I was like, uh, I don't know. It was like orange, like very bright colors, um, nothing that you want to kind of have in your bedroom. But I said, like, let's just give it a shot and tried it in a, on an afternoon. And I slept like never before. I literally passed out for four hours napping, which mm-hmm. never happened to me before. So at that point, I was like, this is magic. Um, that solves all my issues. Um, yeah. But then like just the the day after, like when I just started trying um, to use it at night, I realized I get really hot because imagine it's 20 pounds and it was like filled with 20 pounds of plastic beads. Wow. So there was like no way that I could sleep under it for eight hours. So it was like, that's a bummer. I mean, I have that product. I know it works, but somehow like the the whole functionality around it, the design, but then I said that someone must have done something innovative and like there must be a better product out there that just helps me sleep and use that product like, you know, how I needed to use it. And I realized there was nothing out there. It's been a product that's been very successful in the medical niche community, uh, but it somehow stayed there and no one had bothered to innovate and kind of make it more accessible to uh, a broader kind of, you know, community of people. And that's when I kind of realized um, maybe I should, you know, think about what I could come up with and if there's something better. And I was like, I was, you know, in my job at the World Bank. And then I decided to take a year off. And um, I thought worst case, what could happen is I, I come back and have a really great case study. You know, if I fail, I kind of can document it and I could probably even use it with other entrepreneurs in my work. So it would be great. And if it works out, then it will be also great. So it was kind of like a project-based approach that then turned on into a full-on business.
0: Yeah. So necessity is the mother of invention in, in this business case. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really intrigued then. So you're traveling a lot with work, clearly struggling to sleep. Your sleep patterns are all over the place. That causes these issues and you start looking for a solution. How intentional had you been in the way that you designed your career up to that point?
1: I actually have a very unconventional uh, career path. Um, so when, back in Germany, I, I studied economics And um, I mean, usually, like, you know, you would from there go into, you know, some sort of finance career or like consulting or accounting or something like that. But um, kind of I always like kind of I was like I've always followed my curiosity. And at some point, like while I was midways in my studies, we had um, someone come to my university um, who was working in Afghanistan at that point. And he had the idea of building a college um, to bring distant education to um, to basically like online management and uh, education to people in Afghanistan that they could easily access through um, internet cafes or like just also from home. And I got really fascinated with the idea. And I kind of was as a student, just part time developing content around it. And um, kind of instead of once I graduated kind of taking, you know, one of these traditional uh, jobs that you would take after, you know, studying economics, I actually um, started working full time for the college in Afghanistan. Oh, wow. um, and I, I think already at that stage, it was like people were like, why would you not kind of, you know, take <laughs> take one of the other jobs? And
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but it didn't sound it wasn't something that was like at hand. But I was just like, I I followed kind of, I guess, my passion and curiosity. Um, And then kind of from there, I I really kind of in Afghanistan and working for that smaller like NGO, I got really passionate with development work. Um, And then kind of took again, I was like, I want to learn more about that also, not only. In kind of in practical terms and that what led me to kind of pursuing a master's degree in public policy with a focus on economic development and from there I said like I want to have some form of an impact a broader in impact on you know development and that's how I ended up at the World Bank so it was really kind of like a couple of of steps where it wasn't like really clear out where I had like a, a, a clear structure or plan um, also, maybe comparing with other graduates that graduated at the same time, it took me much longer. It was like not very linear on kind mm. of how I ended up. And I guess also then transitioning into entrepreneurship was, I guess, like the the least what people would expect, right? Once you have a, a PhD in economics in your, in your career at the World Bank. Uh, I don't know anyone else who just then dropped off to sell heavy blankets on the Internet.
0: So, <laughs> Yeah. In that sense, no,
1: I didn't have a plan.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose if you take that unconventional route, but a conventional in the sense of furthering your study and then taking on that um, additional workload and commitment to you know become a PhD, do you consider that just part of your journey, or do you think do you have any regrets about doing that? Do you think you might have been able to get to this point? Sooner, or is it just because of the nature of where you've ended up? It is just in, inherently linked to your experiences through the job that you were doing.
1: I mean, sometimes a part of me said, "Well, why did I do all that studying? I could have probably, like, yeah. you know, just started my entrepreneurial journey much earlier." But on the other hand, I don't think that I would be where I am today without these experiences. Um, and kind of like it. Obviously, like took me took me longer, but I learned so much along the way. And kind of like things that I guess learning also more about myself. And mm. it, it's been good for me to see like an environment, like a very corporate environment, and kind of spending some time there to kind of see how do I want to build the culture in in the company, and what are things that I am good at, um, what are things that I am you know really enjoying. So, And I think it's actually like if if I would do it again, I probably would do it the same way in a very unstructural path and kind of following um, my kind of curiosity. I think the only thing what's important is whatever you do, kind of like not doing it Um, half-hearted. So I never kind of had a phase where I'm like, "Uh, let me just see. But once I was like in it, I kind of always kind of was very like driven and passionate about it and kind of like, uh, you know, I want this to succeed. I want to learn as much as I can and like focus on learning because then I think if you fail and if things don't go, you, at least you walk away with like kind of the, you know, having grown as a person and you have learned. And so then there's, in that sense, there's no failure. It's just like, you just walk away with learning. And if you kind of have that mind shift, then it kind of is, is is it's it's more of a level of flow instead of like that black and white thinking. If something didn't work out and you failed, but it's actually just a, a pass or a step to to the next to the next step, and you're actually evolving as a bigger bigger person.
0: Yeah, I'm really interested actually on that point of the the theme of failure. So and this is a generalization, but it's true. I think I've interviewed a lot of people and I, I see this trend, which is that in US culture particularly business culture it's kind of expected that you might have some failures along the way and in a sense it's seen as part of the process of becoming an entrepreneur and i think entrepreneur means something a little different over there there's a sort of status around being an entrepreneur rightly or wrongly i wonder coming from a european culture whether it was different and whether you think you're inherently you know programmed pre-programmed to believe that idea that every every experience, whether it's successful or unsuccessful, or, and even you know, the perception of success or not, is worth it to become who you are.
1: Well, I think I, I was more kind of following like the European kind of mentality where it's not glorified actually to fail. And it's kind of, um, you know, especially once you've studied um, for a long time and you're in the, in the midst of your career where other people are really kind of taking the next step Um, and really making progress uh, in in their career. It was quite difficult and it wasn't very glamorous. Um, And I I had a lot of friends who kind of, you know, given that I was in my mid-30s, I think it's also different. Like if if you're taking like these right out of high school or, or college and you're in your 20s, I think that's when people say, well, that's really cool and like you can do something. But then, like, when you're in your mid-30s, there's less of that kind of enthusiasm from the, from people around it. Like, right? they're saying, I don't know, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, I mean, I think at that point I also, I, and now looking back, I see, like, that, you know, failure is, is something that and, and kind of makes you who you're supposed to be. But I think at that point there was a lot of fear. I mean, like, fear of, of losing a steady job, somehow so getting behind in life um Mm. so that was definitely there and i think that's also why i set like these boundaries of like one year um i'm giving myself one year i guess that's just like a, a mechanism of of hedging um and uh yeah not to kind of fail too much if that if that makes sense
0: yeah I've done a lot of research for this book, and I've seen certain trends emerge again and again. And I think a lot of the reason people don't take the step into entrepreneurship or becoming a solopreneur is often fear. And it can be fear of various different things. It might be financially, if you've got mm-hmm. dependents, a mortgage, you've got kids to look after, then rightly, you're considering what the implications might be if things don't work out. But often it's a fear, a reputational risk mm-hmm. or identity, because wrapped up in the decision you would have made, presumably, is that you had a... You know, prestigious interesting job that you'd attained through hard work and performing well and you that's part of your identity both as a worker and as an individual and I suppose you, you give that up don't you when you take that step into to, to trying something new.
1: Yeah I mean that's the really scary part because it was before it was very easy to have that identity wrapped around you so I mean the first thing that people usually ask is what you do and that's kind mm. of like who you are and what what defines you so I had like that one sentence where you know that's my name that's what I do and it was kind of it was very clear and and once that went away especially in the early days of entrepreneurship there's there's nothing you have to to show right you say oh I have that idea my website is coming up and you know I'm, I'm working on it. it's coming up soon but essentially you have nothing besides like mm-hmm. And you lose like at the same time that identity. So in these social settings, um, kind of like, I I remember kind of, you know, meeting up with old friends and you go around the table and and people say, well, I'm, you know, I'm now, you know, a partner at a law firm. And then it came to me and I, it was like, I couldn't really describe my identity anymore in one sentence. So it was like three, four awkward sentences. I'm doing that, and and then you could see people were like, "Oh, that's that's nice, you know, good good luck." But it's it's yeah, it's definitely awkward, and it's it's yeah. um, losing that identity, that professional identity, which is, I guess, for most of us, like a really strong part of who we are. Um, kind of giving that up and and being in these awkward situations, and at that stage, not knowing if this will be a positive outcome. So you might come back in a year later and then you have to explain people why it didn't work out so and and that's yeah I think that's definitely something that that I was afraid of and I definitely faced many many times
0: yeah how much does purpose come into it because you mentioned that was one of the reasons that you joined the NGO and Presumably there's a sense of purpose in that you have clearly identified a problem because it existed for yourself and you're not the only person who struggles with insomnia or some you know, variation of not being able to sleep. And there's lots of different circumstances for that. Believe me, I, I've got three young kids, so I, I could do with a, a solution sometimes to help me go back to sleep in the middle of the night. But do you feel a sense of purpose in what you're doing now, either in the same way or do you experience the same energy through Pursuing that sense of purpose.
1: So, I mean, I think in terms of purpose, um, we all expect that everyone needs to have a deeper purpose. But I think purpose is also very fluid, construct. And when you're an entrepreneur in the early stage and you're kind of striving or struggling, um, it's it's hard when to say like, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for a deeper sense in a deeper purpose." So, for me, kind of putting. Uh, putting learning first and saying like my inherent purpose on this is, is learning. And then Mm. I feel like once I came along and things became more stable and kind of, I knew the idea became real, then I could shift also that purpose from kind of that learning mentality to, okay, what does it actually mean for others? And then, then kind of realizing like with these blankets, we actually can change people's lives. But I think it needs it's fluid. It's not that you go in, in the in the very first day and say, "I do this because I want to change people's life and help them sleep better." Um, I think there is a is a mix of um, needed to have like that level of safety and kind of like getting further along before you kind of shift from your own kind of and then really developing a purpose that focuses outside and what can I actually do with it. So I think first you have to establish some some something uh that that works and gives you also like that level of I don't know if it's safety, but I think it's it's harder to um to come up with like these higher concepts of like thinking about others when you're when you're not knowing will I still be able to do this tomorrow? Do we have enough money in the bank um, you know, to pay employees. So there are so many things where I think it's easy at the beginning to say like, um, if I'm you know, if it doesn't work out at least I have that that background of learning, so for me the purpose just developed more when I was further along in the journey. But now it's it's by guiding principle. I mean now kind of that I don't have to worry that much about you know do people like my products. Now I can really like that drives me in the morning when I when I get up and I see you know people writing us emails. Um, people say like um, I don't know we just got last week where someone wrote us from a hospital where um, his mother went through cancer treatment and he said she, she couldn't sleep for six months and we got her the blanket and now she's finally able to sleep. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of purpose. Uh, it's That was what's driving me now, but it wasn't the thing that drove me at the very beginning in the early stages. So I think, um, yeah, we have to maybe be a bit uh, easy on us when it comes on purpose and really let the purpose develop. Um, and if you don't see like in the first like, you know, early days say like, I'm, I'm looking for that purpose. Don't put too much pressure on yourself because I think the purpose will come with like the work and Mm. kind of with that focus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious then how you recognized the progress that you were making during those times, because of course, you might look at financial metrics as a business, and ultimately, it does come down to that. But in those early days, the numbers, they often look a bit ugly, don't they? You're having to spend money in order to try and grow, and it takes a little while for your efforts to be realized through revenue. Were there other ways that you recognized progress? Did you set milestones or did you track your progress in order to be able to just give you that motivation to keep on going?
1: I mean, I think the early progress was really for me to have a product that people like. I mean, my early prototypes, you know, sometimes I had to force people to try them, like, you want to try the product? And, like, ah. And then when they tried it, they were like, it's okay. But then Mm -hmm. when you have something where people, like, now they're calling me and say, like, hey, do you have like one of these blankets? I, it was awesome. I really want it. And I have like a friend who had it and like it worked for yeah. her. And I, so I think that was like the early metrics of like, I guess you call it product market fit. But at the same time, it's just kind of getting that, that confirmation that what you're doing and like the product is really working. Um, and then kind of obviously then from the, I think that was like the baseline and kind of getting that right. That takes some time and and uh, like experimenting with our fabrics and with our manufacturing process. Um, But then always getting that feedback from people like this is really awesome. This is working and like looking at it. Um, So in the early days, um, I didn't focus that much on kind of like the progress and the metrics. I was more thinking about, you know, what does it then take to, to bring the product to market? And what is the feedback like? Just listening on the feedback that you get from the community and from your early customers, and I feel like then a lot of these um, success metrics they fall automatically in place. So instead of I don't know, just focusing on the metrics first, um, I rather kind of just um, let people kind of dictate, um, you know, dictate the way and follow that that progress.
0: It reminds me of the story of Amazon, who really. Jeff Bezos always talks about focusing on the things you can control. So there's just, the, you know, they've just an overriding belief that if you optimize the customer experience, everything else will follow. So just yeah. fo- they just focus on the things that they can control within that process yeah. and it sounds like a similar approach to experimentation and iteration that you've taken to the product. I'm really I'm intrigued. So this idea came about because of a lack of rest because you were struggling to sleep. You know, most people's perception of life as an entrepreneur, particularly in the early stages when you're trying to grow the business fast and it does take a lot of energy to, to try to achieve that, that people's perceptions is that it's a lifestyle where you're burnt out and you're working night and day. Do you get much opportunity to take a step back and reflect and rest? I'm, I'm interested in what your opportunity is to unwind from the stresses of daily work life.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, what's important is the, the freedom to work when I'm at my best um, and take rest when I need it. And obviously, as an entrepreneur, it's you always work um, more, like, I would say more hours than uh, that I worked before in, in my regular job. But what's different is that, I mean, before I was working on a 9-to-5 schedule, so I had to be in an office where you know, there are periods where you're just not productive. Um, and, and so what I'm doing now is that I have like a lot of flexibility around my schedule. And if I feel like there's a time when I'm tired or when I need to clock out, and that could be literally in the middle of the day, um, you know, I just I just go um, and take the time when I, when I need it. And like having that flexibility and kind of shifting that mindset from you need to kind of be always on, kind of like there are periods where you are highly focused and then there are periods of rest. For example, I'm taking a nap every day. Um, And it's just a a 20-minute nap, which I'm kind of granting myself in the afternoon. And then from there, I feel refreshed and then I can kind of take some, you know, then I'm taking another call or I do a little bit more work. But I think that that freedom of like not forcing myself to kind of be on 24 seven. I think that's that's been really important for me and and just spending some time in solitude like every day. I mean, I think there's a reason why the best ideas, they come in moments like, you know, when you're under the shower, when you least expect them. But I think it's kind of just having like completely unplugging where you don't listen to anything, you're not on your phone, you're not writing and making time for like these moments of of rest and solitude where you also don't spend time with anyone else you just take a walk or you're just kind of like you know staring somewhere without kind of having any any purpose and kind of productivity purpose behind it so that's something i do every day
0: I was reading something uh, quite perceptive recently that somebody said, which is that there are f- very few opportunities to be bored nowadays, and actually that that's that's not a good thing because, as you yeah. said, that moment where you'd stand at the checkout waiting to pay, um, who now stands at the, the at the checkout and doesn't get their phone out looking at something? Whereas actually, there's lots of moments that you could have throughout the day where we are just not interacting with a screen and allowing those moments of, I'm I'm not suggesting that in the supermarket you necessarily get your best ideas, but still it's just (laughs) an example that there are times where we don't have to immediately instinctively reach to our pockets or or, or our purses for our phones. So clearly flexibility is an important part of the the practicalities of your workday. Having the option to and the autonomy to decide when you invest your energies into certain types of work. But what does a great work day look like for you? I'm interested in which areas of the business your role extends and which of those most excite you and whether there's any parallel between that and what the job you were doing before or if it's just these new experiences which are creating the extra energy and sense of learning.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for me, a good day is, um, I, first of all, I love working with different people. Um, and if if the day starts with like you know, a rough idea, be it for A new product or creative campaign and then by the end of the day it's you know you're bouncing off ideas and it becomes more and more tangible and we say well why don't we get a prototype made and then you slowly see things coming to life what was just previously in your head um and Mm. and that's very fulfilling so that's that's a that's a good day and yeah i think like just allowing the space for for creativity I always like to bring in outsiders um, to to the team. It is is it in a form of like a a short term consulting role or having someone come and speak um, to us. So we have like we're getting these fresh ideas and then um, giving each of us some time to reflect on these ideas and then brainstorm and see what could we do with it and kind of like slowly developing um things and obviously like we're experimenting a lot a lot kind of doesn't turn out in the next great product or the next great campaign but then when something gets out of it and you're even just getting to the next step where you see a prototype um that's like yeah that's what i would say is 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 the best part of of being an entrepreneur what i really like about it
0: yeah it's funny i i for years, for 10 years, I ran my business and I did the same thing as you. We'd invite people in to come and speak. And, you know, very often, yeah, very often they were potential suppliers perhaps or, or or people who would be giving insights in the market. But actually often the best were when it was almost not really connected to the specifics of the product or service, just somebody coming in talking about something interesting. Because we talk about creativity, often the definition of creativity is joining making connections between two things in a way which hadn't previously been made and I think the only way you do that is to be discussing among the same people ideas which you wouldn't normally be discussing so it's it's such a great way and actually as I said I'm on the other side of things now so I often go into companies some of which I have no idea about what really their product does Mm -hmm. or what the industry they work in but it's remarkable how you can engage with people in such an interesting way and it sparks new ideas and new thoughts. So I think that's a, a great approach to creativity. One final question related to that, I think actually. I, I'm I'm really intrigued. When you when anyone starts a business, you need a really good support network. And, and the support network plays different roles. It can be introducing you to people who might find useful. It could also go to the other end where it's just literally someone to say, keep on going, you can do this. It's encouragement. I'm interested how you thought about your network or the sense and the role of community. And did you lean on that in those early days?
1: So, yeah, I mean, I think having a, a support network, uh, you can't do it without without having that network in place. So given that I was an outsider kind of coming into entrepreneurship and tech, I mean, I was a development person. So I didn't have that, that network. Um, so at the beginning, I really kind of, you know, cold emails and LinkedIn to people who have done something similar. And most of them were very generous and kind of just picked up the phone and, you know, and and kind of like um, letting me ask some questions. So I think that was really critical. And then, I mean, I think in an ideal case, you would always have someone who's um, kind of you're surrounded with a community of peers. Ideally, you have like, Someone who's maybe 18 months ahead of you, um, who you can just like tap, but they can still relate to you know where you're at at the stage because we always like think oh you know we should all talk to you know uh, Jeff Bezos, but okay. I don't think he probably could relate to uh, where you're at right now. But if there's someone who's like doing something very similar in a similar space, just 18 months ahead of you, they probably can give you the best advice. Then I always love having people who are exactly at the same stage that I am because they can just really relate emotionally what you're going through, and you can kind of like give you us like give each other that like that support and kind of like what are you doing where are you at, and having like that regular exchange. But then also I think once you kind of get further along, um, you can also um, have someone who's just starting out and mentor them because that also helps you reflect on. On you know things that you could have done differently that you maybe then can now imply the stage where you are. So having like these different stages of peers and and, and, and community that supports you is, is really critical. Um, and building that uh, early on and building these relationships, it's it's also just really fulfilling. And as you all kind of grow together, um, it's it's uh, yeah it's a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely, um, Catherine. I really appreciate your time this morning. It's such a fascinating story. I'm, I'm really pleased that you shared shared it with us. One final thing: is there anything else you wanted to share? I mean, is there anything, any other sort of advice that you might give to anybody else who is thought thinking about making a similar decision, or just any reflections you've had on your experience thus far?
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, anyone who's thinking about or has an idea but doesn't really know where to start. Um, I think there's so many tales about like you know the, the college dropouts that left everything behind and then started that amazing company. I think that is, um, is a way for just kind of taking it step by step and gradual and, gradually. and it doesn't need to be you know like the, 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 the Facebook and dropout and kind of creating that company. But I think just um, having some stability at the beginning, and saying, well, kind of like I'm not maybe quitting my day job right away because that will just add additional anxiety to like an already really stressful way of pursuing entrepreneurship. But is there maybe a way you can do part time or you have like a freelance or consulting piece or so you have some form of stable income and then really taking it step by step? Instead of like that, you know, dramatic change that like often we read about, that's kind of what entrepreneurship is. I think it is like a gradual process and setting some boundaries and kind of making sure that there's not too much additional stress, especially in the early days. I think that's a it's a good and healthy way to start something.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. And uh, I will include the details of your fabulous products in the show notes.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much thanks
0: for having me and that was my conversation with katherine ham really inspirational story in there Catherine's really realistic about the journey of an entrepreneur but equally shows how well you've got a great idea pursuing that's so important more great guests next week i'm going to do a double header on the future work actually so my first guest is linda grattan who's a best-selling author and my second guest is tim oldman who's the ceo of leesman index so make sure you tune in for that and in the meantime have a good week